here on one song with Diallo and Luxury. Yeah, that's me, me, me. We're gonna do some song breakdowns. It's gonna be funny, entertaining. You're also gonna learn some stuff about Nirvana and Diallo and Luxury. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, also known as the guy who says interpolation on TikTok. <laughs> and this is one song. Man, I am so excited for this one. Smells Like Teen Spirit is a mainstay at the top of all those 100 greatest songs of all time lists. And personally for me, it represents a crucial moment in the history of pop music. We're going to be getting into all of that, including the flannel, the grunge, and all the mosquitoes, albinos, and even our libidos. (laughs) This is one song. Thanks to the U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for the sustainable makeover of our podcast studio and for sparking discussions on greener Hollywood production. Just like notes in a song, sustainable living is just a series of small, eco-friendly choices that contribute to the melody. Check out the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how they pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Making my cat happy is my number one priority, and Fresh Step Out Stretch Litter helps me do just that. Meet Mr. Mittens. Mitty, for short. Ah! Mitty is happiest when his litter box is clean and fresh, and Fresh Step Out Stretch is amazing at absorbing waste and odor. We sure have found our common ground, haven't we? Happy cat, happy life. Ah! Find Fresh Step Out Stretch at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. So, Diala, do you remember the first time you heard Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit? Yeah, man. I was of the age where, like, after school, I would go home and I would watch MTV to find out, like, what music I should be buying on cassette. And uh, <laughs> You're a cassette guy? I was a cassette yeah. guy. Because, you know, I, I, liked I live in Atlanta, driving community. I would drive around. I had my cassette deck in my 84 Honda Accord. I was so proud. It had four doors. Four doors. It had four doors. Not I was so two. happy. I didn't have to be that guy with the compact where it's like you have to lift up the seat and let people in the back. I was like, no, you got your own door, Joe and Rashid. Y'all let y'all selves in. Wow. You know, like I was very proud of that. But I remember watching the video uh, by Samuel Beyer. I, you know, I was like a person who early on was like, you know, because MTV listed the director oh, on there. Right. And I was you're like, right. wow, this video is cool. And it was like a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of really rock dudes in the in the stands. And they were like the, the cheerleaders with the anarchy symbol right. on their thing. And then this song came on. And, you know, like nowadays, like everybody gets content on their own time. But this is still in a time when, you know, there was such a thing as like a water cooler moment. We didn't have water coolers in school, yeah. obviously. Couldn't afford water in my neighborhood. But we <laughs> we would get at lunch and we would talk about stuff. I'll never forget the day after that song. We all heard it, I feel like, the same day. The next day at lunch, we were all like, because we were all like, it's an all, guys, it's an all-black, you know, school environment. I always say there were only two non-black kids in my school. There was Tran Lee. And Josh. And there was Jorge Ramos. I thought there was a Josh, Oh, I'm too. sorry. There were three. You're right. Jorge Ramos and... <laughs> Don't forget um, Josh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Joel Blessinger. Oh, okay. So we had literally one Asian kid, one Latino kid, and one white kid. Long story short, <laughs> I'm sitting at a table with all my friends, all of them black, and they were just like, yo, did you see that band Nirvana yesterday? And we were all like, yo, that song goes... I, we didn't say goes hard because that wasn't an expression back then. I'm sure we were like, yo, that's dope. You know, like, we all like that that's song. so it felt interesting different like yeah. we nobody came to school talking about you hear that new white snake song no like, no, no that no, was no. never a thing for some reason nope, not a lot of motley Crue fan <laughs> fan dotage exactly for some reason that song and kurt's whole thing just connected with people all outside the rock community and the C- seattle pacific northwest like yes. we all felt it we all felt that song i can't even describe how much that song meant and i know we're going to get into it in this episode but to me that song still symbolizes how one song yeah. can change everything. Absolutely. Like, it just it landed like a bomb. <laughs> it, it's the Oppenheimer of songs. It's like after 
Smells Like Team Spirit, nothing was the same. It created a genre, and it absolutely it created rip, a genre. ripple effect. It that, changed yeah. Atlanta radio. Like I remember just a couple of months after that song came out, Everybody wanted to get into the new alt rock. Right. I think it was called alternative rock. And one of the stations Which to that this we used day to persists to, 30 years later. That's still a format still called that did rock. not exist before. 99 yeah. at 99 FM became 99X. Okay. You know, right. they were like Generation playing edgier X. music than, yeah, than yeah, the yeah. pop stations. What about you, man? Do you remember the first time you heard Smell? 100%. Because, I, I mean, it's interesting that your story was similar. The revelation was instantaneous. And actually, I have to give props to a friend of mine, uh, Cecily Jacobson. <laughs> so you have to understand, just back up a second. When I was in high school... My senior year, I was a DJ at the local college radio station. So, okay. like, I'm literally on a Wednesday night, my senior year, I'm awake at two in the morning till six playing records. And I'm kind of integrated into this college music world mm. for the first time. This yeah. is like where all the cool kids and the new records come out. You get free copies, you get guest lists at shows and stuff. A friend of mine who I met this connection through, through the radio station gave me a cassette tape. A mixtape. So it's interesting. We got a, a cassette connection. <laughs> but this mixtape had the forthcoming Nirvana record on it. It also had this band called Caius, who then went on to become Queens of the Stone Age. This is like, oh, wow. in my personal lifetime, this is a mythic cassette tape. <laughs> Epic, with so much revelation on it. And it also had Jane's Addiction. Oh, my God. It had the new Jane's Addiction. All this to say that that's the first time I heard the forthcoming Nirvana record. And oh, I was wow. like, it was an instant, like, you know, it's like pouring candy in your ears. It's just like, you know... Adrenaline and sugar high. And wow. then when I heard it a few months later on the radio, it came screaming out of the speakers in my car. And in that moment, I was like kind of surprised that it was like on the radio because this was like an indie band in the college radio oh, station sure. world that I lived in. It was sub pop, it was this sort of cool, obscure Northwest thing. But suddenly, overnight, as you know, it was not an unknown yeah. underground band. It was on the radio. M minutes later, they were on SNL. And minutes after that, the frat boys were playing it, coming <laughs> out of the... That, that was the moment that I was like, whoa, what's happening here? This is not meant for these guys. I mean, were you a grunge kid? I mean, something tells me you were probably really into grunge. In that moment, I was grunge. Yes. I was the personification. <laughs> I, I mentioned on a previous episode, I had the dreadlocks already. You were the white guy I was with the, the white guy with, I was, I was actually one of two white guys with oh, dreadlocks at my school. <laughs> the white men with dreadlocks. We were, yeah, me and, me and a Josh. Josh was the <laughs> oh, other man. white guy with Why dreadlocks. Why is it always Josh or Joel? Shout out to Josh, who lives in Hawaii now. We just reconnected after many years. Great guy. But he and I were the two white guys with dreads. Uh -huh. We both love Jane's Addiction. This is why we had the dreads. <laughs> and we were both Jews, by the way. It should be noted. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I was a grunge kid. I remember I was on some substance and walking around with my shirt off in college. And I, I, was, I was Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. I remember thinking I'm... Or Adam Duritz from Counting Crows. No! Like he, he had dreads and he was in okay. a band. I got, I got to talk. Real talk for a second. Dial and I were in New York last week we met someone and he introduced me to this person as he didn't start he didn't say songwriter dj or producer he was like podcaster my, my podcaster friend over here I'm sorry i burned you my friend. I, i'm not i don't want to be known as a podcaster and the adam durowitz that's the old version of the podcaster introduction in my life is people saying making the adam durowitz connection i can't i can't <laughs> I tolerate not, that i touched a nerve he touched a nerve i am so sorry but for the sake of entertainment we can leave it in the show <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm okay with that fair enough but i was not a counting crows fan just for the record let's put it out there on on the record <laughs> can i just say real quick i think it's interesting that you heard nirvana before you saw the video for me, yes. the two are so integrated. The fact that my first exposure to the song was that video, was the just the rebellion right. in that video. Right, with the I, visuals and I just feel like, it. like nowadays, right. yeah, absolutely. Nowadays, there's songs that I love, and every now and then I'll be somewhere, like a club or a bar, and like I'll see, I'll be like, yo, Kendrick Lamar has a video for that song. Like these are like major. It never occurs right. to me to videos like, are check secondary out now, aren't the they? Video, yeah. but like there was a time. Beyonce didn't even have any videos from Renaissance. There's no videos from that record. See, I didn't even know that. And by the way, I feel like I feel like music videos. Like what a wonderful medium. They they used to be ground zero for the culture. Right. I mean, like oh, the guy absolutely. who directed uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit went on to direct some of the seminal videos of the decade. He did um, No uh, No Rain by Blind Melon. Okay. He did Come to My Window by <laughs> Melissa Etheridge. Like oh, he wow. did like Eclectic. a lot of different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like he he primarily did metal, but he did a lot of videos that sort of defined that decade. And now I feel like you know besides TikToks and things you see online, like. Music videos, like, they're just not ground zero like they're, they they're, were when this song came out 
and again just changed right. everything. Well, and also just like to put like a period on that, like the video, their video is important now, but as you and I both know, it's more like the TikTok ten to fifteen second fragment that's important, not the full song as a music video experience. So that's like a huge. We've kind of lost that as an art form in yeah. and of itself. It's Absolutely. interesting to think about. Diallo, my friend, are you ready to get into the one song this week on one song? I'm ready. Let's do this. So I'm going to start with the guitar part. But before we get into Kurt Cobain's playing, I'm going to set the scene a little bit for you. Okay. I just mentioned the whole kind of like Sub Pop is the record label that they had been on. They mm -hmm. were part of this small community along with bands like Mud Honey and Green River who go on to become Pearl Jam and, and Soundgarden. It's the <laughs> coolest label, at least in my world at that moment in college radio. It was the coolest label that existed. They even had this singles club where every I was a member of the Sub Pop Singles Club. Every month I'd get a seven-inch record oh, with funny. like, you know, one song by Smashing Pumpkins and then next was week. Was Sonic Youth on the label? Sonic Youth was not on the label, but it's interesting you mentioned them because they become relevant when Nirvana signs with Geffen oh, for the big record. Okay. Yeah. Sonic Youth was on Geffen, and that's a perfect segue to the fact that uh, the reason they wanted to sign with Geffen was because they already had Sonic Youth. Got and that was credibility in their yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, if we can sell 50,000 records like Sonic Youth, we're going to be in, <laughs> good, in good hands. Yeah, they're like, oh, if we could just sell half of what Sonic Youth sold. And that's a big part of this story because in this moment, we're kind of in this area of, of time in American culture where there's a big distinction between the mainstream and the underground. Absolutely. And being in the underground, you had some pride about like not being mainstream and like listening to different music from what the jocks were listening to and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So all this is happening and part of why Kurt Cobain is such a fascinating character and person to like not just the music, but the person is because we know he had these conflicts about being an outsider, but wanting to be accepted. I mean, this is a pretty universal feeling, but it yeah. plays out in his art and in his journals that we now have access to. We know that he wanted more. He was an ambitious person and an ambitious songwriter. He wanted not just to write cool indie underground songs, because at the end of the day, that's actually kind of easy to like write something cool that not everyone likes. <laughs> the big challenging thing is to break out of the cool underground scene and to be heard. So he was aiming high. He wanted to write like the Beatles. He wanted to write great, beloved, big songs. Mm. And that leads us into Smells Like Teen Spirit. It's a direct line because one of the kind of funny stories about the song, and I'm going to play you the riff in a second, is once he played this riff for his bandmates, everybody laughed because it was so big and ambitious. <laughs> it was so clearly a sh a, a, like it was so clearly a moonshot of yeah. a riff. Yeah. And for a minute, they were all like, are we sure we're doing this? Is this really our band? <laughs> and then it just became inescapably like, this is just too good. We can't not finish the song and put it out yeah. for the world. But without any further ado, I'm going to play you the isolated guitar. Now, this riff is in the pantheon of iconic riffs. Basically, a riff is what you think it is. It's just a usually guitar part that you can kind of sing in your head later on. It's almost like its own melody. So here is the iconic Kurt Cobain guitar from Smells Like Teen Spirit. So just I want to give credit where it's due. Butch Vig, a seminal figure in yes. all of this, producer who produced this record, went on to form Garbage as yes, his own one project. Of my groups of all time. He as as a sound shaper and also just as a producer part of your job is to get the best performances massive credit to him for changing mm. this the sound of radio overnight with the guitar sound in my opinion in this song there's great documentaries and books out there i urge you if you're a fan to to look it up for his uh, telling of the I, story i think butch big he's the, he's the george martin that you you can't you can't that is I, great. i'm going to use like an that. atlanta term from the 90s you know, there's a lot of lo-fi stuff that I love, but I think to take over radio in the 90s the way Nirvana did, you had to make it chunky. Yeah. Chunky is a term, <laughs> chunky. And I feel like an if you, even if you had your settings to what I, even if you had your car EQ to what I always call the gangster setting, yeah. which is bass all the way up, treble all the way up, and mids all the way down, if you played a Nirvana song, <laughs> that, sh that shit sounded chunky. In your car. Totally. And you know Shout what? out to Outkast. They were the first ones to ever... I heard 
use the word chunky. That's a great word. I'm going to yeah. start using that if but I you can. Know, but it sounds like what it means, right? Yeah. It's like the bass is like, yeah. the drums are it's like, it's got a growl. Boom, 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 boom. It's got yes. body to it. It's got body to it. Yeah, it's got mass. Man, it's just, it's chunky, and I can't even describe it. And this, he's a crucial part of the story who maybe sometimes gets left out in the world because the perfect blend of band and producer, another producer who is more of an indie rock mindset, yeah. might not have understood that the goal have, here. He might have kept it shallow and high yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. And that might have pleased, you know, the crowd yeah. that like Bleach, but I mean, like, yeah. they, they, you know. Bleach figures like, let's get this thing, this is a radio hit, let's get it on the radio. Mm. And coming back to that idea, some of the songs that are kind of in this pantheon of big, chunky, chonky, I should say. <laughs> You're learning. Riff rock bigness that were clearly in Kurt's eye line for what he was aiming for. Here are a couple of them. This is Boston's More Than a Feeling. <laughs> More Than a Feeling? Oh, I can't wait. Not a, I would not have drawn a connection. There's a, there's some. There's a connection there in there. It's less dangerous. It doesn't quite work if you do that. No, no, no. But there's enough there where you're like, I can hear the influence. There's the influence there too. There ain't no lawsuit. We are not the snitch police. We are not the snitch police. I want to make that clear. We are not the snitch police. But I hear it. Yeah, you hear that. And another one, kind of in the same realm, would be this one. This is Blue Oyster Cult. And their legendary riff monster, aptly named Godzilla. Whoa! Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. And by the way, I've never heard that song before. Yeah. Um, did, be, he ever, be, did he ever name check that song? I'm going to be like honest with influences? you. I haven't heard him necessarily name check that. Any, I have heard a yeah. lot of speculation, like other people speculating, well, it sounds a little like this, sounds a little like this. That's kind of mm -hmm. why I played it. What I do know, to yeah. answer your question, he was very vocal because he did very frequently name his influences very publicly. And he shared a lot of love with a lot of the bands that he came up like admiring. Yeah, no, but he's, he was gracious in that way. The band that Kurt Cobain really had his eye on, and he's mm -hmm. talked about many times, was the Pixies. Yes. God, I love music What's so much, man. <laughs> the name of that song. You guessed correctly when you speculated Gigantic? it might be called Gigantic. Okay. Oh, I thought you were being sarcastic. That's no, all what she, is it called? It's called Gigantic. That is the Pixies. Okay. Um, that, I mean, I just had one of those music moments where it's like, I still feel the same way when I heard that song the first time. <laughs> I love that. This band is one of my favorite bands, one of Kurt's favorite bands. And yeah. one, no, one, one thing they pioneered or at least made kind of, took as an idea and made kind of into their signature in a way was this quiet, loud thing. Mm. So there'd always be a quiet section that builds to a loud section. Yeah. Such a simple concept, but yeah. that is that is the Pixies and formula, just, as it were. I feel like various genres, various artists have played with quiet, loud, but I think that the success of Smells Like Teen Spirit by easily made the quiet, loud thing, just a signature of American grunge in the 90s. 100%. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it went from being, again, same idea. It went from being kind of a more, because the Pixies are very well known in indie rock circles, yeah. if you will, but they never, they had that song maybe in, in the towards the end of their career, they had one sort of minor MTV hit, Here Comes Your Man, but they're mostly an indie superstar band, but they were never a big mainstream band, not nearly the way Nirvana ever were, for example. Honest question. Yeah, yeah. Did they do Monkey's Gone to Heaven? That monkey, you know what? Monkey Gone to Heaven probably is their bigger one. And I also, love that song. That song's I, so I know good. That one. And probably because of Fight Club, yeah. maybe their most well known song is Where Is My Mind? <laughs> of course. So they didn't escape notice, I'm not trying to say, but they never got to Nirvana levels. Never. And never. They, they, were, should they, were that, they were that... Um, I think they should have. They were personally. almost like how the Smiths are. Like They're one of those groups that you only know if you get into the genre. Yeah. They never had a genre buster. That's so true. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, a recent interview with Frank Black from the Pixies, he's still a little bit bitter that Nirvana got there and that, that they crazy? didn't with that same kind of core idea of the quiet, loud thing. Yeah. <laughs> What, what, what was the quote? There's a quote, right? There's, this quote is pretty delicious, so let's just go verbatim. Okay, so this is from a 2013 interview. Um, Black Francis discussed the band's legacy. Asked what his contribution to rock was, Francis replied, sarcastically, 
being original, influencing Nirvana so they could rip a song. I'll admit it. If Kurt Cobain fessed up to it, fuck it. I'll agree with you. You ripped us off. <laughs> There's and that's nothing in 2013. quite like musician ego. <laughs> and yeah. when it gets bruised. <laughs> I understand, man. You thought it was your idea and the world thinks it's Kurt's idea. Take us out with just a little bit more, because the guitar riffs in this song are so epic. Chonky. I always thought that it was cool that after singing two verses, Kurt basically plays a verse on his guitar as his solo. You're absolutely right. The guitar solo is literally the melody. Yes. So let's listen to that. I love it when it goes minor like that. It's so satisfying. <laughs> So good. So good, right? You know, it's funny listening back to that. I'm thinking about how, so Weezer, <laughs> there's like a funny internet meme that like Weezer kind of begins right when Nirvana ends. <laughs> like, and so the meme, and, and actually Rivers Cuomo has participated in this, is mm -hmm. that Rivers is actually Kurt Cobain. Oh, He just like changed his glasses. He just added glasses. I mean, Clark Kent style and continues. It's a bit of a dark meme, but it's a funny one. <laughs> but it's funny. I'm thinking about it listening to that solo because there's a bunch of Weezer, like there's an entire record, the Green Album, where Weezer's every song does that same idea. Every guitar solo on the Green Album is just the melody from the song which I, must have been a conscious choice just for one record <laughs> to try it out. Because it's funny, you don't have to think of anything new. You just play the melody again. That's exactly. your guitar solo. I mentioned this a minute ago, but it's, you know, you can't imagine the world existing without this song mm -hmm. being the way it is. And Nirvana, it's their iconic signature song. But when Kurt first brought that riff, and he had a melody for the chorus, which we just heard in the guitar solo, that melody plus the riff, when he brought it to the band, they were like, dude, this is in, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like Kurt, bass player Kurt Novoselic literally said, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So they were jamming on it. They jammed on it. Kurt yeah. was like, let's just try it out. Let's just try it out. This is a very this is a frequent thing that happens in the, in the rehearsal space. Like, let's just work on it, see where it goes. And so they go in and they rehearse. And what happens is in the conversation, they're like, let's try it slower and heavier. And that's what they do. So the band going and they rehearse and let's listen to a little bit of the resulting slower, heavier bass line by Chris Novoselic. And it should be noted that in the song, Chris Novoselic, his part is, it's very simple. As a bass player, it. it's so simple. You've got to get, you get in the groove and you're like, this is not one of those songs where I'm going to get fancy and do like things that are like super interesting that'll make other bass players jealous. Mm. I'm going to stick with the groove. I'm going to play these four notes. I, I think that this is just one of those iconic bass lines, just like Excursions, which opens up a Tribe Called Quest's uh, Low, Low End Theory, Theory album. I, I feel like that, baseline just opens it up and i feel like hip-hop at this time is also really bass driven like you know if you look at dj mugs and the stuff that he does with cypress hill house of pain and all that stuff and uh just bass lines in general were like just blowing up in this period i i truly love this bass line and i feel like chris is one of the he's kind of the forgotten member of nirvana like yeah. if you yeah you know nobody nobody forgets kurt Obviously, Davis had an amazing career post. I Dave's feel like, made it hard to forget him no, by being yes. ubiquitous. <laughs> but, but by the way, I, I, we adore I really, you, Dave. Like, Don't I really get me like wrong. some Foo Fighters stuff. Yeah. I really like some Queen of the Stone Age stuff as well. After the break, we'll be getting deeper into Smells Like Teen Spirit. And we'll also let you know who Kurt Cobain said was the world's greatest fuck on live TV. Oh, my God. We'll be right back. Uh, we, you got to come back for that one. Thanks to the U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for the sustainable makeover of our podcast studio and for sparking discussions on greener Hollywood production. Just like notes in a song, sustainable living is just a series of small, eco-friendly choices that contribute to the melody. Check out the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how they pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. 
Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. All right, welcome back to One Song Luxury. Uh, one interesting thing about Smells Like Teen Spirit is it, it, it belongs in that pantheon of songs <laughs> where the title is never sang. Like, it's, yeah. the title's not in the lyrics. Right. Explain how it came to be called Smells Like Teen It's Spirit. so funny you say that because as I'm thinking about it, like, half the shows we've taped are in that same category. <laughs> yeah. We did Blue Monday. We did How Soon Is we Now. We did How Soon Is yeah, Now, yeah, and now yeah. it Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. So it, it, if you hadn't noticed, because when we were preparing for the show, I had not noticed, to be honest, that that was not in the song. Yeah. It's a, it's a funny phenomenon. So the story goes, <laughs> at the time, uh, Kurt Cobain was dating the drummer for Bikini Kill, Toby Vale. Bikini Kill being a seminal, I think, Olympia, Washington punk band, a feminist punk band, uh, founded by and, and headed by Kathleen Hanna, one of my all-time icons, uh, who's now in La Tigra. Um, and Kathleen, one night, they were all hanging out at Kurt's apartment, which was sounds pretty ramshackle, but mattress on the floor kind of situation. And... Um, Toby Vale from Bikini Kill was wearing a deodorant that was actually called Teen Spirit. <laughs> yeah. So Kathleen Hanna spray paint, takes a spray paint bottle, bottle, what do you call it? Shaky, shaky thing. Can. can thank you so much. Kathleen Hanna takes a spray paint can and spray paints on the wall of Kurt's apartment. Kurt smells like Teen Spirit. Which is <laughs> like. I've heard this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a compliment. Kind of, I'm not sure what to make of it. Kind of. Kind Sounds of like a, a diss to me. Kind of a weird burn. Kind, of a, somebody, if, kind if, of a sick burn. If our burn. producer sprays on the wall, Diallo smells like Old Spice. I'm not going to be like, hey, we're going to have to go to HR. <laughs> it's also kind of sweet, though. You smell like your girlfriend's like niceness producing pheromone thing. Pheromone thing. What am I saying? I guess we're lucky they didn't smell like, you know, Kurt smells like like secret because then they would have thought that uh, there was like a scandal involved there's a lot going on yeah, yeah. you're right well smells like teen spirit just stuck <laughs> Kurt, out to Kurt, Kurt smells like Jean Nate would have been really hilarious <laughs> but anyway, go Cody ahead. Musk <laughs> yeah you don't want that the cheap cologne from Five and Dime Store um, Dracar Noir <laughs> Dracar Noir I kind of liked that one at the time but it's it's now many it years smells later smells like Dracar Noir is not a hit it's but not a ahead. hit it's not a hit no <laughs> it does not work in the mix um, we were just listening to the demo we'll play some of that in, in a minute and it, it's fun to listen to it as one is reminded that these lyrics are never sung but I wonder if because in the demo, they're kind of like rearranging all these mulatto, albino, like, here we are now, entertain us. Well, we're going to talk about that lyric in a second. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> but the lyrics themselves are more kind of sonic. Like, when you listen to the song, you're like, half the time, as Weird Al famously parodied later, you're not 100% what he's saying. It's not the kind of lyric where the meaning sinks in and you're like, this is a song about X. So I, I just wonder if they got to the end, they're like, what should we call this song, guys? And it just was fresh in the top of his mind that she had just spray painted it on his wall. Maybe they were just like, hey, as a joke, we can call it what Kathleen just spray painted. All right, my friend, why don't we talk about the drums for yes. a minute? Yeah, Dave Grohl's iconic drum fill. And a lot of people, by the way, have been asking me. So uh, as you may know, on TikTok, I do a bunch of videos uh, where I talk about interpolation and influence and, and such. So I get a lot of DMs from strangers, which I love, by the way. Please keep them coming uh, with requests. <laughs> like they want to hear a breakdown of this song or this song or that song. And one of the most, probably the most common request, and I have not had a chance to get to it. So I'm excited to get to it right now on one song, is there's this Pharrell Video yes. interviewing Dave Grohl, making mm -hmm. the rounds, where Dave Grohl tells Pharrell that one of his big inspirations for the drum break in Smells Like Teen Spirit was, as he puts it, some of the famous disco and funk drummers of the 70s. So, the Gap Band. Gap Band. He names check. <laughs> he name checks Cameo. He name checks Tony Thompson from Chic. So let's listen to it. Let's, let's, uh, this will, here's the breakdown. Here's the, as requested on TikTok, if you will, here is the breakdown, starting with Dave Grohl's incredibly iconic drum intro. Okay, so here is what he is talking about in, in particular. He's referring to that ba-oom, ba-ba-oom, ba-ba-oom, ba-bum. That simple idea, which is a repetition of one thing just four times, is something that iconically shows up in many, many, many 70s funk songs, not the least of which are the ones I'm about to play you. Starting you with say the, you're going to play me some Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. I was just going to wait for you to... <laughs> starting with the Gap Band, which I only thanks to this show and Diallo teaching me live with the camera running, 
is that gap is actually an acronym, an acronym for the streets in their neighborhood. Yeah. I love that. So here, <laughs> here is one of two songs that the gap band have a very similar fill. I like that one. I like that one. And they like that feel so much, my friend, that they used it in this song as well. (laughs) Wait, you know what? Let's let's give it up to the Gap Band because they're like, like, we will not start our songs with music. We will start our songs with roosters. We will start our songs with motorcycles. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think Drop the Bomb on Me starts off with some bomb sounds. Like, they're like, look, y'all, music ain't going to do it on its own. So we got to start off with some other sound effects. We got to lure the the listener in thinking they're watching a movie. You know what's also funny about that, Phil, is that like when I was a young drummer just starting out, like in our circle of musical friends, we would refer to these fills as being kind of like... They're they're funny cool because it's it's a simple it's it's every time it's not every time as it turns out it's just these two gap band songs for that band but the gap band always it feels like they always do that fill and then as a young <laughs> rock drummer mainly we would do them too so when when Dave that. says this it's like oh I feel another connection to Dave as he's a much better bigger drummer oh. than me but just like I totally get it I'm like yeah but um, it feels good in a rock song all but, I can but, say but, um. is that there was a sound effects company that was like look guys. <laughs> Fully employed by the Gap Band. The Gap we don't need any other clients. Like, I don't know where we're going to get our business. Our business model doesn't work unless the Gap Band comes in here 12 times a year. <laughs> Guys, kill the roosters. We got nothing. <laughs> but that's not all. We got more 70s bletem, bletem, bletems coming your way. You oh, ready yes. for another one? Here's another one. This is another one of my favorites. And by the way, extra credit if you can... Uh, oh, yeah. Let's play Name That too. Name a song that used this as the sample. Sample source and Dave Grohl inspiration. Okay. In one eight second clip. On the fly, y'all. That's an easy one. I should know that. I we already heard the sample. I know that sample. Shit! Goddamn! Get up, y'all! Jam. jam. Um, the sample was that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bring the noise. Exactly Let's right, my friend. Yeah, no, I knew I knew that sample from somewhere. That's great. That's a great one. How low can you go? Just to have the yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I like that. From Animal, the Incannibal D, Public Enemy Number One. Five O said freeze and I got numb. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> All right, and, and I got to give props to um, DJ Envy. Yes, we were recently on the Breakfast the Club, Breakfast Club. Yes, and he reminded me of one that I'd forgotten, and it's this. That sounds a little familiar to you. It's because you probably recognize it from this. So there's lots of blepm blepms in the world, is the point. <laughs> yes, there are. Blepm, 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 blepm. And That's it's interesting. Crazy. I, I yeah. can't believe how many uh, how many different ways that you could go with the with that drumming, the blepm blepms that you go. <laughs> and it's also interesting to me. That when I mean literally, its name is grunge. The genre's yeah. name is grunge, <laughs> and yet it's influenced by glossy disco. Right. You right. know, disco, Tight, the clean. much maligned, the President Carter of musical genres has actually influenced really? <laughs> almost every genre that came after it. So shout out to disco and all the disco heads yeah, out yeah. there. Although in fairness, I would give I would I would half of these at least are are more funk. I mean, they're right on that line maybe between funk and disco. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know what? Yeah. Disco funk it is, but 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 disco and funk, you know, they're yep. kind of, you know, shout out to, to Daz. You Older know, brother, disco younger jazz. brother. Yeah, disco and Daz. That's what we are. Oh, thanks for sharing, sharing those drums with us. So the last piece of the equation is, of course, Kurt Cobain's isolated vocal. So I'm excited to get into this because it's going to send chills down the spine of every listener of one song. Let's just get into it. Load up on guns, bring your friends, fun to lose, to... So this part of the song is actually relatively singable, <laughs> at least for me personally. <laughs> like I can kind of make that happen, but once we get to the chorus, I, I'm, I'm out. I can't. I can't. My vocal cords are a little too valuable to me. I can try. You can try. Yeah. All right. I'm impressed. Here we are now, entertainers. I'm a lado. I'm a bino. I'm a skido. Malabino. And of course, the most important part, Woo. second most important part, is. 
Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I mean, like you in the, in his voice, you hear just. I mean, I, I without overstating, you hear angst, you hear teen <laughs> rebellion, you yeah. you hear it all. You hear like the kid in the corner who feels like you know I could be one of the popular kids, yeah. but I but I'm not going to be. Or yeah. you hear the kid who's like. I'd love to be those kids, but I'm I can't be like you. I feel right. like there's so many different relatable sounds coming out of his voice. Yeah. That sort of no matter who you were, I think that is one of the reasons why the Jocks started singing it because he's that part of our id that just you know right. feels rejected. And can I just That's I want to talk deep. a little bit about that. the elephant in the room as a black listener to the song. This could have gone way south. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he says a word mulatto, which is highly offensive. And it was actually offensive at the time. Don't let people say, oh, it was 1991. People weren't so snowflakey. No, people weren't crazy about it then. But I think we, because we were already relating to him and his vulnerability, it wasn't like Axl Rose was singing the word right. balada. Like, it Axl Rose sings the word balada. You're it like, matters who's doing yeah, it. Yeah, I know who this guy is. Yeah, yeah. But like when Kurt's singing, it just comes across different. And can I just say, from a personal point of view, like, I immediately drew a connection between all four of these things. I was like, wait, a mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. I was like, oh, my God, these are all things that have his blood. A mulatto has a white man's blood. He's a white man. It's a mosquito has your blood because it bit you. An albino has your blood because despite of what he looks like, he's, you know, one of us. And then uh, uh, libido, well, that's just blood in a, you know. Different body part. In a teen's (laughs) awkward position. I never... I never thought I, I, I thought that was a reference to Boner. So, so all of it, it was just like it all made sense because I felt like now I've learned recently that, you know, Kurt came up with these lyrics like very last minute. Yeah. So who knows what was going through his head? It, it, but it is, some of these words are on the demo. So it's like yeah. these words had been in his mind before right. he went into the booth to record it. And it's one of those unknowable things like not as an outsider, It's kind of, of one course. of the beautiful things, right? Like yeah. art and even lyrics can mean different things to me, the listener, than they're even intended to be by the person who wrote them. And at the time that Kurt was singing them, he we will never know for sure, but he may not have himself intended. It was sonically a rhyme. It was just words coming to his head in the moment. And then the meaning was sort of ascribed later because that's a very frequent thing that happens in songwriting is there's one word or one idea and then the rest is sort of placeholdery, but it starts to weirdly make sense because your subconscious is actually doing work for you. I feel like you and I are both artists and I'll only speak for myself, but I suspect this is true for you too. There are times when you think that you know the meaning of what you're creating yeah and then you look back 10 years later and you know i don't know if i was right about what the meaning was even to me back then maybe i wasn't honest enough to admit yeah. that the meaning was that so sometimes the meaning can even change for the artists totally and sometimes it's not clear until later and then yeah. in retrospect you're like oh my god obviously i'm talking about this thing that was happening at the time mm-hmm. and to me i thought it was either hidden or, or mysterious but like it's really dead obvious what i was saying in retrospect yeah yeah, it's so interesting. I also want to point out, like, because you were talking about the, like, I really loved what you were saying about sort of how even the jocks, the popular kids, because it yeah. was a very simplistic viewpoint. You're either an insider, you're either an or underground, nerd. alternative, yeah, no. alternative underground gone, kid, yeah. or you're popular. Me. So that was a, re- a little simplified at the time, perhaps. But I loved what you were saying about how even the jocks and the, like, popular <laughs> kids have a part of themselves, which is the insecure, needy, wanting to be heard, you know, a little sad at home kind of I, I person. I feel like, you know, Kurt had a fascination with the guys who he was growing up with in you know, in, in Seattle and in the Pacific Northwest, because, you know, on another song he talks about, he's the one who loves all, all our pretty, pretty songs. songs. Knows not what it means. Along, he likes to shoot his gun. But does, knows uh, not what it means. There's a song on Bleach called Mr. Mustache, which is based on a cartoon. And the cartoon is very anti, their term, not mine, very anti-redneck. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's what, you know, you'll read online and stuff. And, like, Kurt agreed with the sort of take that, like, you know, because in the in the comic strip, like this guy who has a mustache, he's not all called Mister Mustache, but he's like, my kid better come out. And he better like football, and he better not be no f word and s word and n word, and it's like all this stuff. And Kurt read that comic, and he loved it, and he found ways to keep coming back to like, you know, these are the people that I grew up around. But I, but even though I could easily be one of them, I'm gonna take a, a more, you know, open-minded approach to it. <laughs> One of my favorite Kurt Cobain lyrics of all time is What else could I say Everyone is gay Everyone 
son is gay. Pretty brave at the time to sing that. Brave to yeah. sing a line like at the that. time it was so yes. brave, and and we all were kind of grateful for it. Yes. You know, one thing that to connect the dots there because. Especially in that moment, the idea of punk rockness was an ethos. You know, part of it is a sound. When we think punk rock now, maybe you think the Sex Pistols or the Ramones. Maybe you think Blink-182. Like, that's what <laughs> punk rock has come to yeah. mean, kind of fast rock rock music. But it really, at the time especially, was an ethos of, like, there was a sensitivity to as much as was pop- possible to being, like, a good punk rock person at the time would have been kind of trying to be feminist, trying yeah. to be, like, not homophobic, trying to trying to be a good person. Yeah, trying to be like, hey, part we can of that, all get down with this jam. Trying not to be racist yeah. there's a lot of like punk against racist like yeah. concerts in, in the late 70s in, in in england and to connect it back to the vocals for a minute i was when we were listening just now i was hearing the punk rockness in that vocal because we were talking about guns and roses axel rose isn't isn't he's hitting the notes kind of almost like an opera singer like <laughs> there's like a technical excellence in other genres in pop music of course but from punk rock, we get now suddenly in the mainstream this vocal, which is rough and dirty and imperfect. Yes. And he's losing it and he's like screaming his like nodules into oblivion. That was a new sound, certainly on pop radio in 1991. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's from punk rock. I mean, like, even when he sings the last part, a uh, denial. Yeah. That's insane. And I feel like, can we, can we hear a little bit of the denial? Absolutely. from the end of the song? And this is where his voice gets absolutely obliterated. And you yeah. can hear it happening in real time. And just w- there's two vocals in there, and you there can hear two you can hear one just give up. <laughs> one is just like I'm done. I got but nothing I left. When um, we were watching a video with Butch Vig, uh, again the producer of the track, and he was saying like you know he recorded it, and I was able to place his vocals. He he kind of hit the 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 notes the same way, so I was kind of able to just place the vocals over it. I mean like this is just one of those great voices where even when you take all of the music away from it and all but one layer, it still sounds great. Okay, so we've been through the song top to bottom, and of course it was massive, but what's interesting to me is that not everyone at the time knew it was going to be massive. I used to work at a record label a uh, hundred years ago, and you know, as a, as, a, as a young person at the label, like the interns, the, the assistants, we would pass around demos and get excited about stuff. Apparently, like the people at Geffen were, you know, they, they, they were excited about this act. Obviously, they had signed it, but like it was the assistants walking around there who were like, no, this thing is going to be huge. And apparently... They had the ears on the, on the yeah, ground, yeah. Like one of the guys who worked on the iconic album cover was like, oh, I need to knock this thing out of the park because I think this is going to be our next really big thing. So he's walking around with his demo, mm-hmm. and they're going around, and after Kurt <laughs> decides that he wants this to be like a baby underwater, like he has to find somebody. Oh, that was his could, idea? I didn't know that. Look, the, the band was talking about a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. They actually they brainstormed the most about what is the baby chasing, and they talked about <laughs> everything from like a raw piece of meat. They talked about a lot of things before they landed yeah. on you know, dollar money. bill. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, this, this is literally the guy who had to go out and find a person who was good at photographing humans underwater, but apparently right. it's a specialty. Guy, it's a specialty. <laughs> this one guy was known for it. And apparently they dropped like a bunch of babies in the water. There were like four or five babies. They had to find the right baby. Water. Yep. Okay. And, uh, there was one where he was like, I got the perfect image. And then all we did was we photoshopped out. It's not photoshopped. That baby is actually underwater with its arms like that. They had to photoshop out the bottom of the pool so it looked Mm -hmm. like there was nothing but water underneath. But that's how we got that iconic uh, baby on the album cover. And I know that the guy, like, sued because he was only paid, like, something like $200 to appear on oh, the is that right? Suit for like he came back and sued. 000, oh, come on. And he lost. Okay. So I don't want to judge, to, but, you know, come I, on. I forget the guy's name. It's Spencer, I want to say. Um, I'm sorry you didn't get that money, man, but at least <laughs> you are immortalized. Yes, he, he definitely is immortalized. Never forgotten. I love so, it. So, <laughs> I'm going to flip the script okay. right now, which is a phrase that nobody who doesn't vividly remember the 90s even uses anymore. <laughs> but I want to turn the tables, expression? if you will. And play some songs for you. Because there are certain songs, anytime I think about Smells Like Teen Spirit, uh, whether it's the artist's own admission or just my theory, I feel like they're heavily influenced. Okay. One person who admits I love that song and I wanted to make a song quite like it is uh, Raphael Sadiq of Tony, Tony, Tony. Okay. This is And on, this, on the album revelation. House of Music, he did his version of How Low, How Low. Down, let's get down, let's get down. 
That's. Can I just? Can I just say it? Because everyone's waiting for me to say it. <laughs> Interpolation. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what that is. That's it's textbook. Fun, right? It's textbook. It's fun. Anybody who listens to the show knows that I'm also a big Blur fan. Uh, Blur admitted that they oh, only okay. did I know song this one. two. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> to, Sort of copy that that quiet low thing that you were talking yeah. about earlier with the Pixies and with Smells Like. Mm-hmm. And that song, which you've heard, but now listen to it in the context of Blur essentially trying to make a Nirvana song. Here is song two. Quiet part. It's also a big fucking Boston more than a feeling kind of riff. <laughs> It's fun, right? Yeah. And then you notice it, the people who know that song, we can't play too much of it. After that loud part, it goes really quiet. Yeah. And he, and that's like, a, that's oh, a, I got my head checked. I wonder if they were thinking Pixies or if they were thinking Nirvana when but, they were doing No, it. he said specifically, I wanted to make a grunge song because you have okay. to put this in the context. Everybody was like, who's going to win America? Will it be Blur or Oasis? Well, Oasis right. kind of won. Yeah. And Blur on their follow-up album was kind of mad at America. Yeah. They're like, well, how... <laughs> How dare Based you? on what's on American radio, this should be a hit. And of course, it ended up being Blur's biggest hit yeah. in America. And I'll bet you they were doing it in the room with big smiles on their faces of sarcasm because <laughs> they knew that this was silly, right? There they was, were there having was, fun. They were and having it's one fun. One of those examples of like when you're having fun and just trying to make fun of, have fun with, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Uh, a style of music you might accidentally end up with your biggest song. If you were to sit down and write a parody of a Nirvana song, or you might write that time. Don't you end up writing that riff song might too. come out of your body in 1994 or whenever <laughs> that was. So here's one more song. This is just a theory. I want you to think about "Smells Like Teen Spirit," okay. and I want you to listen to this song by The Offspring, and then uh, try and unhear it. Obviously, obviously, same rhythm. It's the same fucking song. It's the same drumbeat. There's nothing I subtle mean, about that. There are times when I'm singing Smells Like Teen Spirit in my head, but then eventually I go to the Offspring song because they're so do. freaking similar. <laughs> it's, it's the same insane. thing. So and then I, I think to, if okay. I know, I don't know the Offspring's catalog that well, but I sense in my mind they've got at least two other songs that kind of do the same thing. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> yes. I, it wouldn't even surprise me. Um, Keep them separated. Is that That's them too, right? That's a little different, but it's the same idea. Separated. There's a quiet, loud, qu- there's a quiet, loud, quiet thing that they do it, it, pretty quickly. All the time. Too. Yeah. All the time. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many groups that were influenced everyone, by Nirvana. At this point, everyone was influenced Absolutely. by Nirvana. Yeah. And by the way, can I just say right here while we're talking about Nirvana, I actually do like some whole songs. Yeah. Whole being the group. Uh, with Celebrity Love. Skin, that record is insane. Celebrity, so good. I mean, like Celebrity Skin, Malibu, Doll Parts. Um, there are so many songs, and I, and you can kind of hear, like you know, whether it's Courtney's, whether Courtney influenced Kurt a little bit or Kurt influenced Courtney. You can kind of hear some similarities there. I think that people don't actually ever recognize how much Courtney might have influenced Kurt because she's there from the beginning. Yeah. People forget the very first time that Smells Like Teen Spirit is performed live internationally is on the UK show The Word. And Kurt famously opens his performance by saying, I just want to tell to the people in this room that Courtney Love, the lead singer of Hole, is the best fuck in the world. And literally one year later, they were married. So, like, she's there from the beginning, so guys. Funny. You guys can hate on her. I feel like there's a whole oh, strain of I people who hate Courtney on Love. Yoko. Oh, no. Yeah, but, exactly. like, listen. If I'm Don't hate honest, on the strong women. I think Courtney Love is the more talented Yoko. Ono. We do not I hate think. on the strong women on this show. No, I'm a big <laughs> no, Yoko fan. Hate. I'm a big Courtney fan. We love you, Courtney. We love Kathleen Hanna. She's not generally put in those camps. <laughs> We're big fans of these like fucking awesome music women. Yeah. There you go. So at the top of this episode, we talked about how this was the song and Nirvana became the band. Everything was very different yes. after this song came Nothing out. was the same. And that includes the culture. Like grunge was not just a musical phenomenon. Don't forget, there was like Marc Jacobs fashion lines, <laughs> New York Times All article. that fancy flannel I couldn't afford. Fancy flannel, New York Times. There was movie singles. Remember that movie Singles came out? <laughs> an entire movie about grunge in Seattle that was like kind of glorifying yeah. the music, the fashion, the the... the and actually, I was about to say the speak, but that there's a funny story attached to grunge speak, like grunge. the language of grunge, okay. which is a non-existent phenomenon, which was willed into existence by the, at the time, outgoing secretary at Sub Pop, that record label, yeah. got a call from the New York Times during grunge mania. Like, everyone's blowing up on the charts. <laughs> New York Times is like, we're oh going to do an article. Go we're going to do an article <laughs> about grunge. Let's call, like, let's call ground zero of grunge, which is yeah. Sub Pop HQ. Yeah. And Megan Jasper is her name. And Megan Jasper answers <laughs> the phone. She's actually leaving. She's fired, and she hasn't yeah. left yet. And she picks up the phone and gets this call 
from this reporter saying, Colin from the New York Times, blah, 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 blah. So they talk, and towards the end, they're like, by the way, almost as a side note, we're curious about the language. Are, are there special words? <laughs> Does this subculture have its own Does it lingo? Have its own little lingo. <laughs> and Megan Jasper, she she is in a mood. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, she starts off kind of like, kind of like, Nothing fancy. She's like making stuff up just to have fun. <laughs> so she comes up with a few ideas. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at my list right now. The first one. But basically, she's, she's making this up on the spot. She's making it I up think on that's the spot. What's stu- funny about it? Like she's these words do not exist. They don't the exist. So the, the answer is no. There yeah. is no grunge speak, <laughs> except when Megan Jasper answers the phone and changes yeah. the game by saying, yeah. "Lame stain." She explains <laughs> is an uncool person. Okay, we're off to a kind of slow start here. Kind of basics. Rock on is a happy goodbye. Plausible. I believe that one. But then she continues. <laughs> and the next one, swinging on the flippity-flop is what <laughs> grunge people say for hanging out. We're going to go swing on the flippity-flop. And then she ends it with a loser in grunge speak is a cobnobbler. I think she was a... <laughs> she should have become a comedy writer. She was brilliant. You know what she became? The head she of Sub Pop. To this day, <laughs> she came back. And Megan Jasper, if you're listening, we love you. Re- I love the label, and I love this story forever. I'll it never reminds it. me of Dave Chappelle talking to his agent saying, sometimes I just make up Slay. He'll be like, okay, uh, well, zip it up and zip it out. <laughs> and then, of course, the agent's like, uh, yeah, zippity do that to you, Dave. You know, Diala, it's been fun swinging on the flippity-flop with you today. <laughs> My favorite cob nobbler. <laughs> Why, thank you, Lame Stain. <laughs> Well, as sad as I am to do so, it is time to end this episode yeah. of One well, Song. Help me in this thing. All right, let's do it. Well, I am producer, DJ, and songwriter, Luxury. And I am actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ, Diallo Room. And this is One Song. We will see you next time. By the way, quickly before we leave, if you're a fan of this show, and thank you for staying to the end, that's a good sign. You seem to be a fan. <laughs> we would really appreciate if you quickly, before you go on to the next thing in your life, do a real quick five-star A review is even more helpful. All this stuff helps keeps this show on the air. We would love to keep making shows for you episodes, seasons. We'd love to do this till the day we die. The only way we can do that is with your five-star clickety-click. This episode is produced by Matthew Nelson and Jordan Colling with engineering from Marcus Hum. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wilde. Hey, I'm Paul Shear. I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jason Manzukis. And we're the hosts of How Did This Get Made, a comedy podcast where we deconstruct, make fun of, and celebrate the best, worst movies ever made. Have you ever seen a movie that's so bad that it's actually good? Eh, that's what we're talking about. From blockbuster franchises and made-for-TV romances. To bonkers 80s action flicks and obscure sci-fi musicals, we cover it all. You can find How Did This Get Made wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode, idiot. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix.